tuning in to Shout for Libraries on CJSR in Edmonton, Edmonton's favorite library-centric community radio show. My name is Julia Guy, and I will be your host for today's episode. Uh, if you've never tuned in to Shout before, we are a group of Masters in Library and Information Studies students here at the University of Alberta. And every month we bring you fresh library and information-centric news. Uh, last week, uh, a week ago today, in fact, some of our fellow MLIS students hosted a fantastic conference, the Forum for Information Professionals, or FIP for short, and it was hosted here at the U of A campus. So FIP is an annual one-day event, uh, presentations, discussions, basically on current topics facing librarianship and information professionals, which is kind of what we do here at Shout. So the event is hosted by students of the School of Library Studies and is organized by the Forum for Information Professionals Committee. FIP is an opportunity for librarians and information professionals from all parts of Alberta to exchange ideas with library students and academics. Speakers include professional librarians, current and past students, and other information-centric professionals. The theme of the conference this year was resilience. Uh, and this year's topics that were presented, there were lots of great presentations I got to see. One great one was disrupting white supremacy in the library. Uh, others were finding bias in characterizing Wikipedia editing behaviors, uh, teaching media literacy, super important in this day and age, uh, and libraries against the end of the world. So lots of cool topics were discussed, uh, and we had the chance to interview a few of the presenters and organizers at the conference for this episode. Uh, we put together a show with a bunch of hot takes, hot library takes. Uh, I've lovingly dubbed this episode Live from the Librarian Red Carpet, or alternatively, Fast and Furious Librarian Road. Uh, I think either works. Hello, listeners. We are here at the Forum for Information Professionals on the U of A campus. Hello everyone, this is Hong Yi at the FIP conference with Sharon Siga, our keynote speaker, who just delivered her excellent keynote speech. Thank you for joining our show, Sharon. Oh, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. So uh, in the presentation, you talked about the bombing in 2018 at the Strathcona County Library, right? Yes, that's right. So yeah, and I was amazed at how you shared the staff share their experience and patrons brought snacks to the library and share their experience. And um, I think in library schools, we were taught that public libraries should build a close relationship with their community. So I was wondering, how do you think of this close relationship help when there's a traumatic event like this? Um, we, often in public libraries, we're seeing people over and over again uh, we, we do feel like we know some of our regular patrons. We recognize people. Um, we, we get to know a bit about their lives. And there are other times where people are, you know, picking up holds and checking things out on the self-check and we don't really see them. But I think for many of the patrons, there's a feeling that the library is their library. Like they personally have a stake in it and it's their, uh, a piece of their community, an important piece of their community. And I think that's what came through when we started to get the outpouring of cards and chocolates and, and hugs from people is that it felt like a part of their home had been 
uh, impacted and people that they hold very dearly to them that they see once a week, once every three weeks had been impacted and they just wanted to know, to let us know how important the library was to what they do. Well, that's very sweet. I'm so happy to see that staff are making such a great effort to try to build libraries as a home to themselves and to the community. So uh, I also wonder, like, do you have some experience that you would want to share with um, the public librarians? And if there is such, uh, if there is such an incident again? Um, on any topic? Um, I guess one of my key messages is... Um, do some preparation. There's some really practical things that everyone can do um, to be ready for any type of, of incident. Um, in my keynote, I mentioned the importance of practicing evacuations with your patrons so that you've, your staff are really comfortable and familiar with what to do in case a real emergency happens. And definitely um, working on business continuity plans are really important because it was so much easier to um, take a list of things you need to think about when it comes to getting an operation up and running rather than trying to start from scratch. So a couple of those would be like two practical things I'd, I'd really recommend. Thank you Sharon, those are really useful advice. So thank you for taking your time with us today. Hope you enjoyed the conference. Thank you so much. This is Julia Guy, and I am here at FIP with Kathleen Oliver. Uh, Kathleen, you're doing a poster presentation today. Can you tell me what it is about? Sure. So I'm presenting on my thesis proposal and trying to get feedback from some of the participants about what they think about it. And so my main concern with my proposal is that we are becoming increasingly aware of technology's consequences when it comes to the environment and social responsibility. Um, so thinking of living conditions and pollution that becomes part of the production process. Um, but at the same time, we rely on technology more and more to the point where we can't really turn away from it anymore. And because of that, the library is also shifting its services to meet those needs. And so I'm thinking about the um, ALA and IFLA's core values in social responsibility and sustainability and how those two things conflict with each other when we hold them together. Awesome. That's so cool. And for those listeners who might not know, the ALA is the American Library Association and IFLA is the International Federation of Library Associations. So what uh, made you interested in this topic? Where did this idea come from? That's a good question. Um, I think it really goes back to, I must have read an article about how crappy the conditions are for cell phones being created. Um, and then I came across this Fairphone company that is based in Europe, but they do everything they can to create a sustainable and ethical supply chain for their materials and their production process. Unfortunately, it's not really available in Canada, so we're kind of stuck. <laughs> but that sort of started my, um, my interest in how technology is being produced. Very cool. Uh, and I understand with your uh, research, you're going to kind of uh, use assemblage theory to sort of uh, work with that. Do you want to tell us what, what that's all about? Sure. So assemblage theory is this um, post-structuralist idea that um, nothing really exists as a static thing. Things are made out of constitutive parts that are always in flux. So things come and go creating different entities or assemblages. 
Um, and so if we think of the library as an assemblage, we can think of how the services have shifted and changed over the time and how different equipment has come in, different resources, um, and how that creates a different version of the library. And I understand uh, one of your research questions is how uh, might a library act with resistance? Uh, what do you see uh, coming out of that question or what, what sort of dimensions are you hoping to address with that in your research? So I'm really hoping to start a critical perspective um, on what the library can do to be better about its technological usage and incorporation into its spaces. So whether that's trying to find more ethical um, more ethical producers or trying to extend the life of its products um, just to sort of reduce what's being tossed away and bought again. Um, also the information aspect would be great, so raising awareness about um, what goes into making technology and your choices. So cool. That's awesome because I mean libraries are, you know, like, like you said, nothing exists in a vacuum and we're trying to adapt and grow, but how can we do that in a responsible way? That's so awesome. Uh, what do you hope will come out of this? Uh, yeah, what do you hope will come out of your research? Sure, there's um, a few, uh, there are a few steps to it. So I have four research questions. So my first one is going to sort of uh, illuminate what the actual discourse is happening between the official documents and the professional documents so we get a real clear sense of how the library views its commitments um, to these core values. Um, and then my other questions sort of build on top of each other, so I'm going to be finding out or hoping to find out what the library perceives as its responsibility to the community and these changing needs. Uh, and then I want to create a more critical discussion about how these hazards are reproduced in the library. And then with my final one, which is the acts of resistance, I hope to create um, a usable resource package or just some more information about what a library can do. So great. Thank you so much for taking the time and have a wonderful rest of the conference. Thanks, you too. Listeners, we are here at the Forum for Information Professionals on the U of A campus. This episode will feature interviews with various FIP presenters and organizers. Hi, my name is Joel. Um, I'm here for Shout for Libraries at the FIP conference live on location. I'm speaking with Jennifer McDivitt, who just um, did a presentation on wide range of issues, climate change, denialism, indigenous knowledges, balancing intellectual freedom commitments with climate change, denialism, etc. So um, thank you so much for being available to speak to us as part of this episode. Of course, happy to talk to you. Could you give us a quick overview of what the uh, presentation entailed? It, it covered a lot of ground, but just a quick rundown. Cole's notes. Okay, so I focused on sustainability as an ideology and how libraries and librarians can have that guiding every single action they make and how the dichotomy between social responsibility and intellectual freedom, especially when it comes to climate change denial, is hard to navigate, but that it's necessary to devalue anti-science rhetoric and disinformation as much as we can in the library. We don't have to give it a positive platform. We, can, we are always here to provide information, not to censor anybody, but to give a positive platform to the ideologies that 
aren't harmful to society, and we have the social responsibility to do that. Well put. One thing I really appreciated about the presentation was uh, your reference to Amazon Web Services and uh, server farms and kind of like hidden hidden infrastructures um, that kind of put the energy use of, of information infrastructures kind of out of sight, out of mind for uh, libraries and other kinds of institutions. So could could you speak a little more to that and the Hank book that it, that occurred in? Yeah, so that's a book by Mandy Hank. She talks in depth. It's a very good book about the path to carbon neutral libraries. That's the subtitle. And she talks about how technology, the technology we have in the library is very much like pervasive. We need it. We provide access to, inform- to the internet as a human right. That's a thing that we're very much like, that's a center of libraries with our access to information. But technology obviously has a very big impact on the environment, the fossil fuels that we burn. And companies aren't very forthcoming about that. They don't want to change their ways because it doesn't economically do well for them because they won't earn as much money. They'll have to spend more. And libraries have a central role in pushing back against their vendors saying, no, I want you to have clean technology, even though it's hard, even though it's going to cost you money. We really, that's a value that's very important and it's actively harmful to not think about the future and clean technology. Yeah, I really like how you linked uh, that kind of wanting to bring those things back into sight. Uh, you link that up with our professional values really well, I think. You, you fielded some really topical questions, which we were just talking about um, earlier, and I think you fielded them really well. Um, how did you feel about the presentation overall? I felt it went well. I feel like there was a good reaction, especially with those questions. They were hard questions because this is a very hard topic. It's hard to, like, in our current political climate was one of the questions, like, how do we deal with the war room, the intimida- intimidation tactics? And it's not an easy answer. It's just, like, we have to because we're here and we are part of that structure, those capitalist structures, and we need to do them as much as we can to move away from that and to push back against it. And the question was specifically, like, do you think this will be an uphill battle? And of course it will be an uphill battle. And of course it's hard to think of ways to devalue anti-science rhetoric like on the ground because it's not an easy thing to do. It's hard. It's on, on paper. It's like, yeah, we're going to talk to people. We're going to have relationships with the indigenous peoples who have been doing this for generations since before settlers got here. And those are just things that you have to like think about every day. You have to think about sustainability all the time and talk to people about it. And it's not just a simple question or a simple answer. Really well put and really spoken to the complexity of the issue. Well, thank you so much for uh, speaking to us for the program. You're welcome. <laughs> After their presentation, Catherine Wells and Allison Easton were gracious enough to meet in the glamorous Lissa Lounge to discuss their talk. I'm Catherine. I'm Allison. And we're talking about information needs in refugee camps, the role of mobile libraries. Would you give a brief summary on the topic and themes of your presentation? Yeah, so for our presentation, we wanted to look at library values in an international context. We focus specifically on the information needs of refugees in refugee camps, and there are a diverse number of needs that that topic covers. So we emphasized that in different contexts, those needs are going to look very different. And one of the interventions that we thought was very useful in these settings was that of a mobile library. So we discussed how a number of mobile libraries are being used in refugee camps currently, And we also looked at how the Libraries Without Borders NPO has an ideas box as a type of mobile library that's being used currently with really good results. 
Yes, and we framed our presentation using post-colonial theory um, with a focus on global citizenship in order to focus on decentralizing Western knowledge and the universalizing tendency of Western knowledge and also to consider how we in our everyday lives can think with global issues in mind. What drew you to this research? So my background is a Bachelor of Arts in International Relations. So I had previously done work on refugees and refugee camps and how bottom-up initiatives are very important in addressing needs in refugee camps. And so coming to library school, that's what I focused on in my Introduction to Research course. And then Catherine and I teamed up and tried to figure how we could apply larger theoretical concepts in terms of information needs and apply them to a library intervention. And I'm interested specifically in outreach services in public libraries. So I think the use of mobile libraries is really productive locally. So I thought it would be interesting to also pair that with Allison's interests in international library values and refugee camps. What sort of future and or local applications do you think can be taken from this international lens? I think that looking at um, refugee camps and the needs of refugees through an international lens is productive in our local context as well, since just that idea that these needs are so varied and we discussed stages of settlement and a lot of these transition phases and I think a recognition that many people have gone through these phases and are maybe still in one of these phases even when they are in our local context here is valuable to know so I think widening that lens is a helpful process. Do you foresee extrapolating any future directions for your research from this topic? Yes, we have discussed considering how our research can affect the Canadian context and how libraries in Canada can address information needs of newcomers to Canada be it refugees or migrants. A big focus of our presentation was also on ICT being used in mobile libraries to serve refugee camps. So I think as more technologies emerge, this becomes a salient area of focus going forward as well. Listeners, we are here at the Forum for Information Professionals on the U of A campus. This episode will feature interviews with various FIP presenters and organizers. Hi, I'm Timothy Arthur. Luke Fagnan is an MLIS student at the University of Alberta and the Senior Marketing Coordinator for this year's FIP conference. Along with his work organizing the conference, Luke presented on his research into decolonizing descriptions and library catalogs. I sat down with Luke before his presentation to talk about his research and its implications for decolonial work in libraries and settler society at large. Here's our conversation. So your presentation is titled Decolonizing Description, First Steps Towards Cataloging with Aboriginal Syllabics. Could you tell us a little bit about what you're going to be talking about and, and really what it means for people who might not know too much about cataloging? Right, so the work that I'm presenting on comes out of uh, working in the Cataloging Strategies Unit at the University of Alberta Library. 
Um, I was passed on some books that have inuktitut syllabics and Cree syllabics, and so I had to work out a, a procedure or a process for um, cataloging with syllabics, a script that we're not used to cataloging with. So um, the presentation kind of goes through the cultural aspects of this, um, as well as some of the cataloging guidelines that we need to follow in this work. And um, just making it work all together, ensuring that this is done culturally appropriately and respectfully, um, and that this work is beneficial to Indigenous peoples. And what are some of the sort of challenges of working with syllabics um, and working with the systems that are already in place that are maybe not designed to work with these languages? Right, so um, as you say, the systems that are in place are fairly colonial. Um, they don't necessarily accommodate um, Indigenous ways of knowing. Um, I'm still working out some challenges there, but there are things like fonts and keyboards available for syllabics that make it easier um, in this day and age to catalog with syllabics. Uh, I think one of the things I've struggled with most is more the cultural component um, that is tied to language and to syllabics. Um, it's not something you can put a timeline on or a deadline on, and you need to continue ongoing relationship building um, with Indigenous community members. And I'm continuously learning about that and, and trying to make sure that my work is culturally appropriate and respectful. So how are resources in these languages currently cataloged? So typically the records that I've seen for uh, resources that have indigenous syllabics on them, um, typically we get a record that has the English translation as well as a, let's say, a transliteration of Cree. Um, so transliteration is not translation, it's the conversion from one writing system to another. So you're essentially getting what the Cree or the Inuktitut would sound like, but in um, Roman script. Um, so that's typically how we receive those records, and so the, the syllabics are not represented in the record other than mentioning in a note that there are syllabics on the record or on the resource. And could you talk a little bit more about about why this is important, how it impacts the communities involved and, and users of the library in general? Right, so I think uh, one of the biggest things that I say in my presentation is that uh, in general, indigenous peoples are important. There's, there's no way around that. I think that is a basic um, fact. Uh, I also think that it can be quite powerful um, to some of the indigenous peoples that I've spoken to around me. Um, they say that seeing uh, their language represented seeping into institutions like this is quite powerful and being able to see your own culture represented and taken seriously in this way um, can be quite um, boosting for confidence and, and for uh, revitalization of culture. And so in doing this work, we're building capacity for indigenization and indigenous resurgence to take place. How do you sort of see this work playing into the broader project of, of decolonizing libraries and decolonizing settler society in general? I know that's a very big question. No, that, that's a very good question to ask. Um, it's something I'm still thinking about, and I've only been doing this for like a couple of months so far. Um, what I would say is that in the past couple of years, there has been a decolonizing description working group at the University of Alberta Library. Um, I don't know quite where that's sitting yet, but I do know that the library hopes to uh, at least create a permanent position that would involve Indigenous relationship building. Um, and so I hope that this, this work that I'm doing can lay a groundwork for future work in this area to, to continue taking place.
All right. Thank you so much, Luke. Thank you for having me. Hi, I'm Belinda Ongaro. I'm here at the other side of FIP 2020. Everything is wrapping up for the day, and I'm here with Christian Isbister, the co-chair of FIP. So, Christian, what did the planning entail for this? Um, yeah, I mean, so planning was just uh, getting a lot of people involved. Um, I think we did a really good job this year in having um, roles for people to fill. Um, I, I think it went relatively painless. Um, I'm going to say now huge amount of thanks to all of the committee. Um, you know, planning it was so easy when you can trust the people who are there with you um, and our volunteers who helped us out throughout the day. Like I, they don't they don't have a particular stake in FIP and they still helped us out um, so much. So it's easy to plan stuff when you've got such a great committee um, and such amazing volunteers to help you out. That's great. I'm glad it went so smoothly and that you had such a great team. What enticed you to get involved in planning this conference? Oh gosh, okay. Um, so part of it was the uh, the threat of God that if I didn't join a committee, I would never find a job. Um, part of it was, uh, honestly, it was the first committee that uh, that was looking for volunteers, so I, I signed up that way. Um, so I mean, it's not uh, it's not a great story, but but once I'm in it, like I, it was really fun. Um, like our committee is super nice. They're, I like everybody who's on there, so so that's why I stuck around. Um, not a great story for why I joined uh, the first one there, and and uh, and I thought I might as well do something, so I I better do something. Um, there's a bit of a story there. I had initially thought, okay, it's my first. Uh, it's my first committee. I've never done anything like this. I've never been to a conference. So let's pick something, you know, a little bit of a smaller role, maybe treasurer, maybe secretary. Uh, and nobody had signed up for the second position of co-chair. So I was like, well, I want to do something. So sign me up. And, and then I ended up as co-chair of this crazy, uh, this crazy train. And what do you hope that students take away from this experience? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I hope, I hope they have the opportunity to, to share their research that they do. Um, like I know students work incredibly hard throughout the year and, and, and they do so much great stuff, but then it uh, has a chance to sit in a Google Drive somewhere or, or a trash bin on the computer. Um, so I hope that, that from here, you know, students know that they can share their work widely and, and that, um, that there are information professionals who are interested in the stuff that they do, um, that they have a voice, that they can speak about things. Um, some of the conversations we had today in FIP were great. There was talk about decolonizing description. Um, there's talking about climate change. Like I, I, I hope that students hope that students know that they have a voice and I also hope that you know information professionals realize that students have voices too and that, that they're engaged with these complex issues and um, and they have things to say about them and that you know that they, they, they can they can say those things and uh, can you just give us a couple words on the theme of today yeah for sure so like our, our theme was resilience um, so we chose that um, partially with our, our an idea of our keynote speaker in mind we knew that that uh, Strathcona County Public Library had just gone through something something really rough. Um, but I know uh, Sharon was speaking about that a little bit today. Um, resilience isn't just when uh, there's some remarkable disaster that happens in your library. Uh, resilience happens all the time. Uh, students display a remarkable amount of resilience. Um, they have a lot asked of them. Um, they're asked to join committees. They work. They have schoolwork. Um, so I, like, I think I think resilience is one of those things that can speak to everybody. Um, I think everybody shows resilience as they, as they go through grad school. Um, and so that's why we did it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's all I have for you. So thanks so much for chatting with us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And that concludes our coverage of the Forum for Information Professionals from last week. Uh, thank you so much to the team of organizers who brought us that conference. Christian Ibister, Kayla Redcliffe, Allison Easton, Sarah Bernard, Emily Villanueva, Aaron Orr, Leah Hubbard, Luke Fagnan, and Christine Hutchinson. 
And to those who kindly agreed to talk to us about their presentations, basically doing two presentations that day, uh, including Kathleen Oliver, Catherine Wells, Jennifer McDivitt, and Sharon Siga, the CEO of Strathcona County Library, and to all the organizers who talked to us as well. And thank you, listeners, for tuning into Show for Libraries. Be sure to check out past episodes of Show for Libraries on SoundCloud or as podcasts now uh, for Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And visit our Facebook page or Instagram if you want to connect with us. It's Show for Libraries, or connect with us on Twitter at Show the Number Four Libraries. And don't forget to check it out. That's our tagline. You get it? Because because you check out books. Okay, well that would have killed at the library conference. Just saying. <laughs>